right, man. Welcome to the introduction of Crow Triple Seven Radio, the podcast, episode 108. I have Jason Lingram with me today, and also uh, Mr. James Fetzer is with me today. And while we may not see eye to eye on a couple things like the Manson nonsense and JFK, we do, in fact, get a ton of very valuable information from Mr. Fetzer, but unfortunately, the majority of it has to be pushed into the second hour. We talk about the fake violence that comes to you through the news, specifically by event, in the second hour, and we talk about another thing, which I've been told over and over again, you cannot talk about online. So let me see, how can I phrase this so that AI won't hear me, but an adult human will? Let me see. Is it the hologram topic? No, that's not right. Is it the holodeck? No, that's not right. Is it uh, a cause of hollow? No, that's not right. Um, is it a hollow cause? No, it can't be a cause because a cause can't be hollow. But I think every human being that is not AI understands what I just told you is covered in the second hour, which we've been waiting a long, long time to cover. Um, and this does relate back to the segmentation of religions and the idea of Six and Saturn. And not only that, we related over to Hollywood, who's pulling the strings, and certain political parties that are behind so much of the censorship as the EU sends out emails to everybody with online access access in one way or another, social media or ISPs telling you that the EU has just taken over the internet. And we ask in this episode with Mr. Fetzer, what the hell does the EU have to tell anyone living in the United States what they can or cannot do online? And of course, this is under the guise and shield of private corporations running things like social media. Anyhow, this is a very interesting episode. And again, do not miss hour two. We cover some things that are actually just verboten online at this point, pun intended. There it is, man. Let's jump in with Jason and Jim. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 108. I have Jason Lingren with me, and it is a real pleasure to have Mr. Jim Fetzer here. Uh, I believe the most senior person that I've had on the show, so I'm really looking forward to this. Welcome, Jason. Hello, Crow. It's a great morning. How goes it, man? Do you have anything for the intro here? I think the only thing I have to mention is that we basically released the the Shoot the Moon film trailer. That's about it. Um, hopefully everyone's enjoyed that who've seen it so far. I know it's a couple thousand people, but I'm actually really excited just to get Dr. Fetzer in here. Yeah, so when we get him in, I think he's actually got something to say about the lunar wave, which is, uh, I'm, I'm all over that. I, I want to uh, I want to hear what he has to say. So, all right, let's get Mr. Fetzer in. Uh, welcome, Jim. Hey, Jason, great to be with you guys. I think you're doing something very interesting, and it has a historical analog. When Galileo first turned his microscope, actually it was a telescope of his own design to the moon, and observed that the surface was pockmarked and irregular, the bishops of Padua, who wanted to defend the present state of Christian cosmology, which was a blend of Aristotelian views about the world, distinguishing between the terrestrial and the celestial region, where the terrestrial was on Earth, the celestial, everything above the Earth, where all the objects in the celestial region were supposed to be perfectly smooth and all the motions circular. Uh, they argued against Galileo that either he wasn't actually looking at the moon, though that was difficult to dispute, or 
that something about the telescope altered what he was perceiving so that it looked irregular and pockmarked, even though it was perfectly smooth, very analogous to the arguments you're receiving, that uh, there's something wrong with the equipment. Uh, or or, or in, the, in the third place, you see, then they would have had to confront the clash, which ultimately, of course, prevailed, and modify their, their cosmology that had been the blend of Christian theology and Aristotelian uh, cosmological theories. So th there's a nice uh, parallel here. Uh, uh, it's also an opportunity, uh, given philosophy of science is my area of foremost uh, academic specialization, to distinguish between the techniques of observation, measurement, and experiment, uh, where replicability becomes so important, which is why the fact that you have had your findings uh, of this uh, phenomenon uh, uh, replicated by other independent uh, students with their telescopes versus scientific reasoning, where you, which has four steps or stages, you begin with puzzlement, something doesn't fit into your background knowledge or understanding, and therefore you undertake an inquiry to sort it out, just as you have in this instance. You have this puzzling phenomenon that doesn't fit in with pre-existing knowledge. Second is then speculation about the full range of alternatives. Interestingly, you're suggesting that you believe it has an artificial origin rather than a natural origin, meaning you're not suggesting that the moon itself somehow has a throbs or has a, a pulse or a heartbeat, but rather that it's artificial, which could be from some uh, unmanned object, for example, landing on the moon, em em emitting some kind of waves, or it may be even more exotic in its character. Third stage is adaptation of the hypotheses to the evidence, especially by considering which evidence, if the hypothesis were true, would, which hypothesis, if it were true, would confer the highest probability on the available evidence. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, the, the hypothesis that this is uh, an artifact of your instrumentality doesn't work when you have replications coming from other sources. But it's not clear that the evidence is settled down on any particular hypothesis. In fact, you actually haven't articulated in what I've seen so far what you take to be the artificial origin, though I would find that a, quite a fascinating subject of discussion. And then fourth... Finally, when the evidence is settled down, you're entitled to accept the hypothesis that confers the highest probability on the evidence as true in the tentative and fallible fashion of science, meaning it's it's fallible that even though it's a best-supported hypothesis because we're in the realm of empirical knowledge, uh, nothing can be known with certainty, so it's therefore possible that even though it's the best-founded hypothesis, it might yet turn out to be false and uh, tentative in the sense that with the acquisition of additional observations, measurements, experiments, or uh, new alternative hypotheses, we may have to revise our beliefs, accept hypotheses we previously rejected, reject hypotheses we previously accepted, and leave others in suspense. So I'm really fascinated by what you have going on here, Crow. This is extremely interesting and has parallels in the history of science.
Right, Jim, I got to mention, you know, when I first did this, I tried to describe what I thought I was seeing with really without the proper language. Unfortunately, I used the word hologram. I realized that was a mistake. I then began to use the word facade. I realized the same thing. So I modified what I was saying, but it, it was very frustrating. As you mentioned here, so many people wouldn't accept it. But in the very first capture, the motion of the camera pan proves that it's a filmed event. But Welcome back to hour one. As I've mentioned a number of times in this, this is going to be a weird edit for us because we got off in a vein that has to be presented in hour two to avoid the black ice beast that is censorship. We have Jim Fetzer with us. And by the way, he is one of the co-owners of moonrockbooks.com. That is moonrockpluralbooks.com. Go check it out. Uh, he's had to open that up for the obvious reasons. Um, and I'll cut to the chase because of censorship, of course. But anyhow, um, we're now going to jump into transhumanism. And I put this on the docket for a very particular reason. Of all you people out there in the media-driven world who have gone out to see the movie Ready Player One, in my view, and I just reread the book, by the way, the book Ready Player One, which precedes the Hollywood mashup, um, is a bit like the modern age's version of Brave New World in certain ways. Um, but you can also see the dumbing down. And anyone who reads that book will instantly understand what it's telling you is true because you understand the references, which proves outright that the programming that goes on in our world is effective. Anyhow, welcome back, Jason. Hello, Crow. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. Welcome back, Jim. Oh, a pleasure to be with you guys. I'm delighted. All right, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to kick off a discussion on transhumanism. Uh, Jason and I have done back shows that show, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, was it the 20 or the 30s when this idea first started to come together around the Tavistock Institute with ideas like cybernetics. But, uh, Jim, would you agree that one of the ultimate goals of the world timeline we are currently headed is transhumanism? Well, if we mean by transhumanism the international intellectual movement that seeks to transform the human condition by developing and making widely available sophisticated technologies such as artificial intelligence to greatly enhance human intellect. I think that there's no doubt about it. I mean, basically, we're already in the, an era in which uh, artificial intelligence is playing a role uh, for better or for worse, alas, as we see in many contexts where uh, Google and YouTube and uh, you know so forth, the media giants are altering their their algorithms in order to implement programs that are used to function as censors of open discussion and debate. So you know it's it, it's tragic in my opinion that. But, but unexpected from an historic point of view, because technologies typically can, that can be used for better or for worse wind up being used for both. Well, a prime example of this push, of course, has to be the cryptocurrency. And if we're going to talk in this vein, I imagine we're going to talk a little more about AI and blockchain. I have said on this show for a long time that the biggest loss of freedom in this world will occur on the day when some kind of cryptocurrency became, becomes the main monetary exchange. Um, do you want to address that? 
Well, you tell me more of exactly what you have in mind there, because this is an area in which I've done less research than others we are discussing today. So, you know, give me more background here. I had a friend who gave me a piece of uh, Bitcoin, and I, I've never been able to make heads or tails of it, but I assume it has some kind of significance that may transcend the printing press that's now endlessly uh, putting out money for the Federal Reserve with nothing to back it up. I mean, you know, this is uh, uh, one reason why we're in such dire straits and the Congress, uh, you know, paid attention to the founding fathers and not allowed the creation of a, a Federal Reserve, we would be overwhelmingly better off today. Well, I think the idea with cryptocurrency, they've got it out there, especially with Bitcoin, but there's a lot of them that use this blockchain technology. And there's some cryptocurrencies actually that don't use blockchain as well. But they're normalizing the concept for people so that they can get a complete digital currency at some point in the theoretically near future, I would say, so that they, the powers that be would have complete and utter control. They don't have to worry about printing physical cash anymore. Everything is done digitally. And another step of their massive control mechanism is then in place. Well, that's right. And in India, we have seen the brutal experiment of requiring all transactions to be done electronically, none being permitted in cash. And of course, that's going to lead to the creation of a huge barter black market where individuals are trading, uh, you know, non monetary entities uh, in exchange for one another. Uh, but just think about it. If everyone had a credit card, what about the poor and the homeless? They don't even have a bank account, much less a credit card. So it, this is a way to simplify uh, the imposition of a, a monetary, a unified monetary system on the entire world. This is a reason why the bankers were so enthusiastic about the European Union, because you wouldn't have to have you know, transactions of one currency into another. Uh, they'd like it all to be done uniformly in the same currency and all electronic so they can monitor every expenditure of every person in the world every time they make one. Well, you know, Jim, that's interesting that you bring up about the homeless and all that because that seems to me to be tied into eugenics, that if there is a complete digital currency and the homeless wouldn't have access to anything of that, well, they couldn't even get donations from anyone, could they? That's right. That's right. They're just going to die in the street. And, you know, you, you go out to a place like L.A., which has all these homeless people sleeping on the sidewalk, even in Hollywood, for crying out loud. I mean, it's a disgrace. You know, Jer Jerry Brown seems to be concerned about everything other than taking care of the people of, of California. He's more interested in using the resources of the state to benefit illegal immigrants than he is the lawful residents of California. And I say this with some concern. I was born in California. I was born in Pasadena. I grew up in Southern California. And I've been profoundly dismayed by what has become of a, a state that I have has been so important to me during my own lifetime. Jim, I share that. I grew up in San Diego, and when I left there, there was nary a highway or freeway off-ramp where there were not homeless people there, many of which were military veterans. And there are quotes all over our culture that say things like, you can judge the veracity of a culture by how they treat their, their homeless and their citizens. And this has been growing and growing and growing. In San Diego's case, what we found was that the city council for San Diego Incorporated was literally making 
making the push that we shouldn't even put up homeless shelters. And while San Diego is not the most brutal of climates, there are, in fact, freezing days when life can be lost. Well, this is a form of social Darwinism, you know, uh, the survival of the fittest. And, and those who feel that they are the more fit don't don't care about, you know, the the useless eaters in the language of Henry Kissinger, who said some absolutely ghastly things about depopulation of the, you know, uh, not just the United States, the world. There are those who aspire to bring the world's population down to some 500 million. I mean, we're talking about from multiple billions of people to a fraction, and you know they're going to go about it one way or another. It looks as though chemtrails are making a contribution. Fluoridation of water seems to be making a contribution. We have uh, the metallic uh, uh, substances in vaccines, uh, mercury and aluminum, that are you know turning much of the U.S. population into. Uh, autistic kids. It may be that the business managers think that autistic kids uh, who are frequently very good at repetitive activities are going to make better workers on an assembly line than ordinary, you know, uh, 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 workers who have uh, cognitive functions that are more diverse and can't, you know, handle the monotony of repetitious labor over and over and over again as well. I mean, I wonder if this isn't part and parcel of a social engineering program, because the connection between uh, vaccines and autism is so obvious. It's very much like smoking and cancer, which the industry denied, 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 but it was obvious to everyone who studied the data. Well, the the epidemiology of, uh, of autism in relation to vaccines, in my opinion, is overwhelmingly established. It's undeniable. And the idea we should have forced vaccinations is just ghastly. Read about some of the experiences of couples. I know one in particular stood out in my mind where they took their two kids who were twins and they were real cheerful and interacting with one another until they had their vaccines. And that very day they came out depleted, emotionally depressed, non-responsive. I mean, they lost what it was that made them vital, interesting people because of a series of, of vaccinations. It's just shocking and troubling profoundly. I'm completely with you on that, Jim, and I know Crow is as well. This this all seems to be a, a multi-part weapon they're hitting us with to bring the entire world society to wherever it is that they seem to think it should be, which, of course, is us subjugated under a very small minority of rich banking families is what it seems to be. As far as your work on computer intelligence and all that, where do you think that's the reality is is truly at uh, knowing what you know from your decades of experience with that and where it might be at today. Well, it's very, very interesting. Uh, I, I have had longstanding interest in artificial intelligence. I even created, uh, uh, I founded an international journal called Minds and Machines devoted to artificial intelligence, philosophy, and cognitive science. Uh, 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 But it's ironic in the following sense that most of the contributors supported the computational model that the mind works the same way as a computer, whereas I'm a critic 
and have articulated basic reasons why the modes of functioning of human minds are not the same as those of digital machines, uh, why you know uh, any built on what's usually referred to as the von Neumann architecture uh, are incapable of being thinking things, although they can be designed with a degree of sophistication to simulate human thought and activity to a remarkable degree, nevertheless are incapable of thought they process uh, everything on the basis of strings of zeros and ones or high and low energy levels and machine language. Uh, and, and none of that machine language means anything to the machine. Uh, it, it doesn't stand for anything the way in which the signs that are used by human minds stand for other things, whether those signs are things that resemble what they stand for, statues, diagrams, photographs, maps, uh, things that are causes or effects of what they stand for, like ashes, heat, fire, smoke, or things that are merely habitually associated to that for which they stand, like the words in an ordinary language like English, where words like horse or or typewriter or automobile don't look like uh, horses or or typewriters or automobiles, uh, but are merely associated habitually. What, where these are, this is the higher level of mentality we find distributed through the species. If you look at evolution, you find the low, lower level organisms exhibit the lowest levels of mentality, and the higher, the highest, where human beings have. Uh, the greatest capacity for the highest level of mentality, which enables us to construct, you know, visions of the world that far transcends the features of our immediate environment to make long-term planning and to do all kinds of thought experiments and other activities that greatly facilitate our ability to adapt to an ever-changing environment. So, Jim, let me get your take on this. Uh, many times we've covered this on this uh, on this show that it's a bit like the powers that be, who incidentally we pretty much outright identify in our two. Um, they want to be gods of this place we call the world, yet they cannot be gods of a thing called nature. So what in fact is going on is that an artificial reality is being created in many different ways uh, in the hopes, in my view, that these people can then claim a bit of lordship over the artificial system that now drives us all. What's your take on all that? Well, that's very interesting. In my book, uh, The Evolution of Intelligence, I talk a lot about the difference between genetic evolution and cultural evolution. Uh, 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 there are eight different causal mechanisms of evolution, four that promote diversity, that include genetic mutation, sexual reproduction, uh, uh, genetic drift, and, and genetic engineering, and four that select, which include, uh, of course, natural selection, sexual selection, group selection, and artificial selection. The, the, uh, like genetic engineering, artificial selection is intervening in the way in which uh, uh, organisms would ordinarily interact, a trivial example being breeding horses for the purposes of making money, you know, having stallions for racehorses and all that, where the mares and the stallions aren't simply naturally uh, hooking up, but rather they're the owners of the mares are paying vast sums of money to the owners of the stallions in order to breed offspring that might become uh, racehorses that win more races than they lose, for example. Uh, but you're talking, you know, 
there, there are limits of cultural adaptivity that are functions of the properties of human beings in terms of their capabilities or physiological, the neurological and other uh, 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 traits. There's a, a, a range of development within which humans can exist, just as you have a range of different organizations of societies from tribal to larger cultural, to, to monarchies, to, to civil organizations that include democracy and, and all of its variations, uh, including tyrannies that we see distributed through the world today. So there are many ways of organizing. Primarily what you're talking about are using the modern technologies such as artificial intelligence to maintain structures and, and, and impose limits and control behavior. And that's where I'm so profoundly disturbed by the European Union promoting these forms of censorship on, uh, you know, the use of the Internet, for example, uh, especially when it talks about uh, hate speech monitoring or prohibiting hate speech because that's such a generalized notion. It can be used to reach almost any point of view. Uh, for example, when they, they censor offensive speech. Well, what makes speech offensive? That's a very subjective uh, property that can vary from person to person or from time to time. What one person finds offensive at one time in their life, they may not find offensive at another time in their life. What one person at the same time finds offensive may not be offensive to another person. So what they're really doing this is to impose a political agenda upon freedom of speech, freedom of communication, especially using the Internet. It's outrageous, and it, it, it's uh, it, 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 imposing artificial constraints on human freedom, creativity, and communication that I deplore. I'm right there with you. I've been saying this for a long time, and I've mentioned it multiple times on this show, that this whole New World Order term, if you want to use that, world government, whatever you want to call it, they don't necessarily need to have a boot stamping on the face of humanity for all time, at least not yet, because they can just legislate us to death, and they've got everyone so domesticated at this point that pretty much most people, not all, but most, are just going to go right along with it. Would you, would you say that's true? Well, unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's, it's the reason why the vast majority of Americans still hasn't taken the, the, the red pill to wake up to the reality that they're hearing 90% propaganda every single day. Having done so much research on these subjects, it's just appall appalling to me where my wife has a strong preference for MSNBC. And I'm listening to these programs, and 90% of what they're saying on these programs is false, provably false. I have, on the basis of my own research, which has been extensive with multiple collaborators, all the books I publish on all these controversial subjects have multiple collaborators, anywhere from, from a dozen to 15, for example. JFK, I brought together 15 experts on different aspects of the assassination. I actually have four different books on JFK, the first three of which shattered the cover up by exposing that the autopsy x-rays had been altered to conceal a physical size blowout at the back of the head, that the brain shown in photographs and diagrams in the National Archives isn't of the brain of JFK, that the uh, home movies of the assassination were altered to conceal the true causes of death, including that the uh, William Greer, the driver of the presidential limousine, pulled the limousine to the left and to a halt to make sure JFK would be killed. 
Even Vincent Bugliosi, the celebrated Los Angeles prosecutor of James Manson and, and author, no doubt, with ghostwriters of the brilliant bestseller Helter Skelter, uh, uh, about the Manson plan to create a war between the races, where he believed that because blacks were stronger, they would prevail over the whites, but because also, in his view, they were dumber, they would need leadership, and he and his band would emerge from the mountains to provide it. Vince Bugliosi, who sought to restore credibility to the Warren Commission report, which is uh, frankly impossible for anyone who has a functioning intellect, nevertheless, in his 1,500-page tomb, described my three books, my initial three, as the only exclusively scientific books ever published on the assassination. I have now a fourth book bringing matters current, because in those first three, published in 1998, we shattered the cover-up, it was entitled Assassination Science, uh, Murder in Dealey Plaza 2000, many regard as the best balanced book ever published on the assassination. Then in 2003, The Great Zapruder Film Hoax, but that was in uh, 2003, and now I have uh, published in 2017 JFK Who, How, and Why, where we have brought our research current, uh, where we have proven in so many ways about the alteration of the film that Lee Oswald uh, was actually standing in the doorway as the motorcade passed by, as Jim Garrison himself had concluded, as Harold Weisberg, among the earliest uh, students of the case, had long since argued and, and therefore that the American people have been massively betrayed and misled by their own government, which, of course, didn't want to facilitate serious research because it would have led back to the CIA, the Joint Chiefs, and none other than Lyndon Johnson himself, who was the pivotal player in bringing about the assassination of his predecessor. So, Jim, I want to cover at least two more topics before we run out of time in the first hour here. Um, first, I want to pull back to the EU for just a second, and I'll yeah. preface the conversation in this way. Roughly three weeks ago, I began to get emails on every single account. The media server that holds this podcast, my ISP just sent me uh, the same email. Google has sent me the email. Twitter has sent me the email. Basically, everywhere you can exist online or that I exist online uh, has sent me the email saying that we are now under EU guidelines. They did make the distinction that if you live in the EU, um, this is the date that this stuff will take over. And if you don't live in the EU, this is the date it will take over. I think the average person that got the email didn't realize because it's couched in the idea that they're trying to protect in some way your data collection. I don't accept this for a second. This is a wholesale takeover in my view of an unelected body. But do you have any input as to how long the queue up for this has been going on? And again, most Americans didn't even think about it until the email started arriving a couple weeks ago. Well, Crow, it's outrageous. What's the European Union got to do with the United States Constitution, for crying out loud? Damn we right. Freedom of speech, you know. Uh, the First and the Second Amendments are absolutely crucial here. Freedom of the press, freedom of inquiry, we've heretofore enjoyed in a relatively unfettered fashion until a clampdown on the Internet because it was exposing too many shenanigans being perpetrated by the American government. And now we have this uh, European uh, Commission 
Commission uh, claiming it's making security a top priority as the most basic and universal of rights to feel safe in your own home or when walking down the street. Well, that's a little bit bizarre because that would suggest the total imposition of a police state where everyone is under constant surveillance would be fulfilling the most basic and universal of rights. I don't think that is correct. And for the Europeans to expect the union to provide that security online and offline is taking a move away from, you know, protecting the people from improper actions to protecting the people from improper thoughts. This is a form of purity of thought that you would think was, uh, you know, a vice in the Catholic Church. I had a girlfriend uh, from Chelsea in Boston with whom uh, I spent seven Christmases in Boston, and she told me how going up, she'd go to confession, and she'd confess to having impure thoughts. Well, it looks as though they want a regiment. So we have no impure thoughts on the Internet, and that they're going to use the European Union as the instrument to do it. But I cannot understand for the life of me, Crow, how this becomes imposed upon the American people since it's such a blatant violation of our rights under the Constitution, with the exception notable, of course, that the, 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 the intel agencies in the government have been using the social media, uh, Google, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, YouTube, and so forth, to implement constraints on freedom of speech using the cover story that because they're private companies, they can do that and not violate the, the, the First Amendment, which is a constraint on the government, except, of course, it's a charade because uh, CIA created Google, YouTube. These are instruments of the American intelligence agency. So it's just a camouflage for the government depriving the American people of a right to which they are entitled under our own constitution. You know, damn right. At what point do people start standing up and saying, what the hell does the EU have anything to say about people living in this country and others? But let me ask you this. Um, you know, it appears that Britain was engaged whole hog in the idea of an EU and then that Brexit nonsense backed out. And of course, Britain backed out. Um, do you have any take on what that was all about? Well, a lot of uh, Brits were properly concerned that there was a downside to be a member of the European Union. And, of course, the bankers are fiercely opposed because they wanted the European Union. They want a North American Union. They want a single union for the entire world that's all run electronically. So there doesn't have to be any, you know, uh, currency exchanges. You can abolish them. Everything's in a unified currency. It's all done electronically. So, you know, they can monitor every single expenditure you're making your entire life. Uh, but the, the, what, what is most threatening here is that th this European Commission is taking actions they claim are to protect Europeans online, be it from terrorist content, illegal hate speech, or fake news, continuous looking into ways we can improve our fight against illegal content online. Well, who are they to decide what is true or false uh, in terms of news, which news is fake and which is real? Uh, given the research I've done on JFK, I can tell you virtually everything you get from the mainstream media is fake news. It's false. It's provably false. We've proven it false. So what right do they have to impose on freedom of speech and freedom of inquiry? In fact, that's the way we proceed toward the truth, as a great British philosopher of science, Karl Popper, observed. It's rational criticism and debate that is our most effective instrument to discover the truth. No entity, particularly governmental, has privileged access to the truth. 
They're simply wanting to issue their own propaganda and declare it to be the truth so it will be immune from criticism and rejection. Well, at this point, exactly what you just said is what's going on. And the reason behind it is because, in fact, as you pointed out, all the online social media was owned and operated and put up to do what it's doing and owned by the entities that own it. In the same way that when you turn on your television, 90 percent of all media you will ever have access to is pushing the same charade. So we've kind of come to a point here where the illusion that um, they're going to grant rights or recognize constitutions that's all out the window now but you know we're kind well, of running we're kind of running low on time here so I'll let you wrap up with the EU idea but I do want to ask you um, about the moon before we run out of time well it's all completely outrageous and, and and the American government ought to be taking a principled stand American politician ought to be taking a principled stand it's very disturbing that the, the Congress hasn't risen up in repudiation of the European Union's interference in American citizens' ability to communicate and exchange and express their opinion, which we have heretofore believed was guaranteed to us by our own Constitution. This is a disgrace, Crow. I am profoundly troubled, and every American ought to share those apprehensions. Well, we've pointed out on this show time and time again that when you say the United States of America, you are wholesale talking about something quite different than the United States. There is a reason when you see a seal for, say, the Army, it says the U.S. Army, not the USA Army. We're talking about a corporation. And so when we get back to places like Congress or anything else, it's pretty clear that they're really no different than turning on Fox or MSNBC or any other place. They're basically puppets. But let's go ahead and leave this breadcrumb behind and shift over to something that's always been near and dear to my heart. Uh, I want to get your take on the moon. Uh, you've referenced books, you know, so we didn't go to the moon either. So I'm going to ask you, is it true? So we didn't go to the moon either? Yeah, we didn't go to the moon. No, no, no. Uh, uh, JFK, I think, didn't realize the scientific obstacles. We didn't have the technology. We weren't capable of going to the moon. We didn't have the propulsion power to escape low Earth orbit. We didn't have the computing power. In fact, what they've adduced as the computer used for the Apollo flights is a joke. It's not even a functioning computer. The diagnosis of Dennis Camino, who's an expert in this area, uh, we certainly didn't have the communication capacity uh, during uh, an interesting blunder by uh, Huffington Post, uh, they put up what they claimed was how a brilliant uh, uh, physicist had destroyed moon landing skeptics in a single tweet. And the tweet was just ridiculous. It just says anyone who didn't think we go to the moon ought to have their brain examined. I mean, it was ludicrous. Well, it gave me an opportunity to start put up proofs about, you know, the photographs we have from the moon. Some show uh, tracks in the moon. Some show no tracks in the moon. Uh, either we have the moon is capable of, uh, you know, moon dust absorbs tracks or not. I take it actually it could, and it's like sand in the Sahara. So the fact we have boot prints on the moon dust means that it's fake, but we also have moon rovers with no tracks before or in the middle or behind, uh, suggesting it was set down using a crane. Uh, but either way, we got them because either the moon dust, uh, when the moon has no atmosphere and no moisture content, it's the moisture content that enables 
you know, the molecules of ordinary dust and dirt and so forth to, uh, to retain imprints that, that give the game away. Uh, Jack White, who was a legendary photo and film analyst for JFK, became interested in the Apollo uh, moon project. He discovered all kinds of uh, photographic anomalies where you have shadows going in more than one direction. Insofar as there's only one extremely remote source, the sun, for light on moon, they would all have to be traveling in essentially parallel directions. He found anomalous reflections in moon visors. You got uh, astronauts on the dark side of the moon lander where it should be completely in darkness, but they're illuminated and can be seen clearly, which is impossible if they were authentic. He even discovered that when you add up the total number of photographs allegedly taken on the moon with the amount of time they were taking a photograph approximately every 50 seconds the entire time on the moon, which is a manifest absurdity purely quantitatively. And, of course, we had no way of transcending the Van Allen radiation belt. I mean, uh, the, the flimsy equipment, it was really uh, just a costume that they were wearing uh, I, I did a participation in a, a moon landing discussion with students from different high schools. They'd actually gone to Washington, D.C. to see the moon lander on display there, and they were observing. It was mu basically multicolored tinfoil that was wrapped around it, couldn't possibly have produ provided protection. In fact, we have the ironic circumstance that a, a NASA spokesman about two years ago announced that the greatest obstacle to a manned mission to Mars was the Van Allen radiation belt, as though it were a, a, a recent development rather than accompanying the origin of Earth as a, a feature of the, uh, the solar system about four and a half million years ago. If we can't go now because of the Van Allen radiation belt, we most assuredly could not have gone in 1969 to 1970. And just to get back to that point about uh, Huffington Post, well, one commentator, when I was putting this up, said he was in communications in that era and that in order to have the, the equipment necessary uh, for uh, communication of that vast the 250,000 miles, you would have needed equipment that would have required a vehicle the size of a bread truck. Obviously, we didn't have a van the size of a bread truck on the moon. And just to make one final point, which is related to the title Moon Rock of Books, uh, 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 the most powerful proof we went to the moon are the moon rocks that were brought back. Uh, but it turns out that Werner von Braun led an expedition to the Antarctic to collect moon rocks that had been dislodged from the surface of moon by impact of small asteroids, caught in Earth's gravitational field, brought down to Earth so that he could gather them and then produce them as bona fide moon rocks, except they hadn't arrived here on Earth by the mode of transportation purported. Yeah, you know, so many people following this show have heard me say endlessly um, that in my view, not only is space misdescribed, but so are the moon and the sun. I'm going to set that aside for a second um, to bring up a topic that we've already broached a little bit. Hollywood always seems to be standing in the same room where nonsense is going on, and the moon landing is no different. After all, we have Kubrick's much-heralded uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which comes out basically the same year of or the year before we're told uh, that people are landing on the moon. Um, 
Have you ever looked into the crossover here of what was being pushed out to the minds of people all over the world and then what followed? And of course, again, I can't say it enough. Hollywood is always complicit. I mean, after all, right now we have people like Susan Sarandon Skyping with astronauts on the supposed ISS. But let's go back. Let's look at Kubrick for a minute as the predecessor in the minds of everyone who is about to be told we went to the moon. Well, I agree with uh, Jay Weiderman that, in fact, Stanley Kubrick was hired to film the moon landing footage. It was done on a soundstage. There are so many proofs, it's ridiculous. I got first hooked on the whole moon deal when I was in London with my wife. Her maiden name had been Morgan. I got us a place to stay at the Morgan Hotel on Bloomsbury Street, which backs onto the British Museum. And when we turned on, this was in 2001, when we turned on the BBC, one of the channels was showing all this fascinating scientific footage about the moon landing and the scientific evidence how we could not have gone, that if you slowed down the moon footage, you find they're just at a normal uh, rate of pace, that they don't leap high enough for the weaker gravitational field, that in some cases you have the astronauts being lifted up by cables that are even faintly visible in some of the footage. This was entitled uh, Conspiracy Theory, uh, 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 Did We Land on the Moon? It's only about 45 minutes long, but I emphatically it established that we did not go to the moon. I recommend one Hollywood product, it's called uh, Capricorn One, about uh, how they were planning a mission to Mars, but where the astronauts were advised just as they were about to enter the capsule for blast off, that they discovered it was impossible that they would have died on re-entry, so they had to fake it. And they proceeded to show how by using a single stream, TV stream, very blurry images, they were able to fake a mission to Mars. It was actually giving the prototype for how we fake the mission to the moon. It's fascinating. Uh, it includes uh, very uh, talented uh, actors and very, very well done. So if you want a prototype of how we fake going to the moon, check out Capricorn One. Yeah, I've actually right. seen that, Jim. That's uh, it's it's quite telling uh, to say the least. And of course, in the end, the only difference is that the one astronaut who survives, because they actually kill the other two astronauts. Right. Actually, right. <laughs> right? The, That's right. They actually blow the whistle and, and get it on TV, which of course didn't happen in reality. But I would say the Apollo Eleven uh, little briefing that they had after they came back, quote unquote, is pretty yeah. telling in and of itself, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yes. Oh, of course. I mean. For men who just walked on the moon, they were surprisingly reticent to talk about it. And, you know, they seemed even embarrassed. And that, that's been true of the entire history. Uh, Buzz Aldrin, as I recall, actually saw, uh, uh, hit uh, a critic who asked him to swear on a Bible that he'd actually gone to the moon. They didn't go to the moon. We couldn't go to the moon. The whole thing was staged for political purposes to show we were technically advanced over the Soviet Union, which had embarrassed the United States by launching Sputnik because we had nothing comparable to show for it. So we made a declaration we'd go to the moon, and when it was unable to be pulled off, we couldn't possibly have done it. We faked it. So, I mean, when, when, we, when we know what we know and we keep hearing things like Bush the Jr. coming you know, and saying, oh, we're going back to the moon and, oh, we're going to Mars and all these things they always say and keep kicking down the road, by logical deduction, doesn't it basically tell you that we can't get there um, right now? I mean, isn't that a logical deduction to make? Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the chapters in uh, the moon book, as I refer to it, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, is by Winston Wu, 
who offers 35 proofs that we didn't go to the moon. And one of the first and most telling is that it's the only field of technological innovation that has been regressive, uh, that we have shown no advances within the area uh, since the purported uh, uh, moon missions. And in fact, it's fairly astonishing, but one spokesman for NASA said uh, that they had destroyed uh, the, all the uh, uh, technical uh, uh, apparatus, all the plans, all the diagrams for going to the moon, which would be as stupefying as the fact that when a treasure trove of moon landing footage was found in a basement in uh, Florida, instead of NASA prizing and treasuring it, NASA destroyed it. Uh, for the obvious reason they knew that it, its careful study would reveal the way in which they had faked going to the moon. I mean, it's all, you know, very embarrassing. Let me add one more story here, too, because this is also very telling. Uh, 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 NASA, uh, this was about 18 months ago, uh, offered $20,000 for assistance, the public offering assistance with their space poop problem. They explained that at present, they only had modes of human waste disposal, essentially a space diaper that would work for 14 hours, and they needed the public help uh, in solving this problem, which, of course, is incredibly revealing since these moon missions were lasting seven and eight days. And what it did was reveal that the whole story of the moon landings was nothing but a gigantic pile of space poop. <laughs> Jim, what do you think about a lot of the evidence that keeps cropping up that they're not showing what's really going on in the ISS? Well, that's interesting. I have not uh, as yet had a reason to doubt the existence of the, uh, of the International Space Station. I mean, it's in low Earth orbit. It seems to me technically feasible. But I have heard Critics suggest that actually it's also a fabrication. And I've got to tell you, you know, in all candor, if it were to turn out that that's the case, that, that, that new evidence would convince me and I would reject the belief that it, it's real and accept the belief that it's not, I would have to admit that it's not a surprise, all things considered. The big disturbing thing is, and you know, you think that, well, it's in low Earth orbit, how big of a deal is that? The problem is I've seen so much evidence of video fakery that they're basically green screening, blue screening a lot of the footage that we get shown publicly. And I've always wondered, is it because they're doing things they don't necessarily want us to see, so they're just fudging it? Hard to say, but there is direct evidence, and you could easily find it if you'd even just pop on oh, YouTube. Yeah. You know, that they oh, yeah. are faking s at least some of the footage that is being shown from the ISS, and it's very disturbing to me. Let me cut in here for a second. You know, so so many people were never aware of the pools where there are complete ISS mock-ups going on. Uh, not too long ago, there was the whole front door debacle where someone uh, got a hold of video where an astronaut's going through a door on the supposed ISS, and it's very clearly a flimsy, you know, very cheap door that's being underwater. Then we have the Chinese astronauts that are supposedly in outer space doing spacewalks. They're caught with bubbles coming out of their helmets. These these things go on and on and on. Um, and from my view, I've stayed on the show a long time. It's not really arguable from my point of view that the yes. ISS is, d exists as it's described. So I just want to get that in there. But I'm sorry for cutting you off, Jim. 
No, 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 that's okay. You're suggesting a lot of the footage is done underwater to simulate, you know, being in space, that the, yeah, the buoyancy and all that. Look, look uh, it's entirely possible. Hollywood perpetrates these frauds uh, all the time. And many of uh, cases of the kind we discussed during the second hour uh, show all kinds of uh, Hollywood effects and artistry in faking the American pub public about what's actually going on. And, of course, many of the interviews with the alleged survivors and so forth are green screen. We had, get this in CNN where Anderson Cooper's nose disappears and, and a host of other issues. I mean, uh, some of the crisis acting that's gone on is, is beyond ridiculous. This is a big thing, Jim, the whole social engineering aspect of this. People are bombarded for, well, for decades now, really, with this is the way space is represented, this is the way space travel is represented, and, and it's in their heads that this is how things would be. So the whole social engineering aspect of this is, is in my opinion, very huge. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering what your take is on that. Things such as Star Trek and Star Wars showing like, oh, this is what the future is going to be like and, and all this. So people really believe that we can do these things and they're giving us representations. Unfortunately, we are seeing evidence that for whatever reason, they're faking it. Well, Alex Jones had the right idea when he talked about info wars, that there's a, a war on for your mind and it's a war of information. And the fact is... They introduced the notion of uh, fake news. These various uh, shooting events uh, we discussed subsequently are, are stellar examples of the uh, uh, ambition to, to, to perform faux acts of terrorism by instilling fear into the target population to make us more amenable to the uh, manipulation to promote a political agenda which includes, you know, issues of gun control, which would make this nation overwhelmingly more susceptible to domination by a foreign power. In other words, it is, in my opinion, a matter of national security to maintain the Second Amendment and our right to gun ownership. And those who are opposed, frankly, are either attempting to delude us or are totally sold over to the other side. It's distressing in the extreme. Agreed. Yeah, it is distressing in the extreme to consider how many people have to have come to a position where they've either been told flat out what's going on or they've, you know, put it together. But to echo back to what Jason was bringing up, you know, at a certain point, I began to look backwards on the timeline incorporating Hollywood. As we know, Hollywood is always in the room with nonsense. And I began to realize that in 1966, a big thing happened. Uh, Star Trek was introduced to the American public and it showed what does a starship look like when it's flying in space? What does a planet look like? What do any number of space-related ideas have to do? And as I walked it forward, I could find the big markers and timeline. You know, there were any number of shows in between that and 1977 when Star Wars, the first Star Wars, came out. And what you can really see is that the owned and operated media plays the long game, and they begin to manipulate minds long before the fact, or in this case, after the moon landing nonsense, to shape a narrative. And then we see places like National Geographic pick up that narrative and further it. So really what it comes down to is people have been so programmed by the time there are few who begin to realize what's going on, they're completely ridiculed if they go against the narrative that has been so firmly implanted in the minds of almost everyone. What would you say, Jim? Well, it's interesting you mentioned National Geographic, which in one of its recent issues, well, I say recent, relatively speaking, 
uh, featured uh, a Moonlander on a stage. I mean, it was obviously on a set, you know, in an attempt to debunk the moon landing skeptics. But I mean, it's self-defeating. The further you look into it, the more ridiculous it becomes. I do think there's an awful lot of social engineering. I think manipulating the internet has become the the major problem for the the deep state because too many Americans are catching on that they're being lied to and massively deceived again, again, and again, which of course we'll explore in greater detail during the second hour. But I say, you know, Social engineering, yes, and they're having very smart people involved in all these activities. You have social psychologists helping to plan. They're calculating their effects, and they're doing it to have maximal emotional impact that minimizes a rational response, because when your emotions are overwhelmed, you're not able to think through what's really going on and assess the evidence objectively, which is part and parcel of the intended cumulative effects they're striving for. Yeah, exactly. Now, we've mentioned this many times before that there's generally speaking six corporations, six umbrella corporations that are controlling nearly all of mainstream media. So for them to control the narrative is actually pretty easy for them these days because the the orders will come down from on high and it gets filtered out. And many people have done examples, even just news broadcasts reading the same damn script over and over and over again, just with a local flavor to fool the people. So it's not hard to really understand how they're manipulating everything when you look at it from that corporate point of view. You're 100% correct. And most U.S. news comes from AP and Reuters, and it turns out Reuters owns AP and the Rothschilds own Reuters. (laughs) Now, yeah, there's a social psychologist, by the way, quite brilliant, by the name of Preston James, who's a profound student of covert activities and, and, and manipulation of news and so forth, who's published a new book on on uh, moonrockbooks.com entitled the new gutenberg press where he's you know he's, he's devoting himself to the threat posed to the deep state by the internet and explaining why it's so crucial to to maintain the control and authority of of the uh, those who want to manage our lives that it they get control of the internet which is part and parcel why you have this end run by the European Union this is extremely threatening stuff i i mean the the united states america as a nation is really dominated by the first and the second amendment if you lose those we no longer have an america that's worth defending you have one more subservient docile a uh, uh, state in which we are treated as serfs, and and uh, you know it's as though you had the recycling uh, of a feudal environment where the rich and powerful in the castles and the rest of us are all toiling out in the field and subject to, you know, abuse and and, and termination at whim by those who are our masters. Again, totally agreed, Jim, and I think this is why we're seeing this EU censorship over the internet coming in because the last Wild West territory is the internet where you can pretty much say anything, but we're seeing massive censorship on every level. And I think this is why the mainstream media is never going to put anything that the three of us discuss ever. (laughs) They're never going to put that out. So I think this is why we're seeing what's going on, because this is the last thing they have to control to make sure that whatever narrative they want to push is pushed to their liking. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I agree with you guys. I think you're doing terrific stuff here. I'm real pleased that you wanted to bring me on because you're doing so much good work. 
And it's an extra bonus to me to look at the, you know, Crow's work on these moon waves. I mean, it's really fascinating and significant and striking from the point of view of the history of science. And of course, afford an opportunity to talk about the nature of science, which I, where I as a philosopher have been motivated by uh, 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 the concern for truth, as a philosopher of science, knowing that science is our most reliable method for discovering the truth, and as a former Marine Corps officer, care about the future of our country, we must preserve the First and the Second Amendments that are indispensable to our well-being, and the idea of curtailing Americans' ability to criticize their government or speak up and share their own opinions or to maintain the right to keep and bear arms, to me, uh, that is a treachery of, the, of a magnitude I heretofore had never imagined possible within the United States of America, which I care about so profoundly. So well said. Um, these are true things. These are things that have just been told to an audience of people who, if they refuse to stand up and refuse to start demanding better and refuse to go along with things like censorship, um, they're going to lose these things. And that means the next generation behind us are basically slaves. Not only are they slaves, they will no, have or no, no longer have access to information that matters or any information beyond the narrative that is approved. Anyhow, that does bring us to the top of the first hour of Crow 777 Radio episode 108. Um, I want to thank Mr. Fetzer for coming on. Uh, thank you, Jason. And I'll tell everyone listening, right now, the meat and potatoes of this episode is an hour two because it has to be. We talk about things that matter in hour two. We cannot talk about things that matter in hour one if we want to have anything to present the general public. And this proves therein that the online resources that have been given to us all are nothing more than data collection devices divine design excuse me, designed to censor us all. Head over to crow777radio.com. At the posting of this episode, there will be 108 free hours of content that do not require a login. You go there, you listen to what you want. Alternatively, if you want to support free speech, and believe me, this episode flat out proves free speech, um, for the price of a cup of coffee, you can do that. So there it is, man. I hope to see you all next week. Cheers. <laughs>